Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. We are in Acts chapter 27. We're going to be in verses 16 through 25 today. Today's message is called Facing the Winds. Last week, the sermon was when the wind blows, right? And we talked about wind, and uh, the wind became a picture for us of Satan's attack in our lives. And so we're going to continue in that vein of thought today. We're going to talk about what to do when those winds arrive. How should we respond? And just by way of reminder, Paul is headed to Rome. Remember that? Paul's headed to Rome. He's with a band of Roman soldiers who are entrusted with the responsibility of getting him to Rome that he might stand before uh, Caesar's tribunal. That They can have a, a proper hearing. They're going to get to the bottom of all the problems that Paul's been causing in Jerusalem. And so that's what they're doing. And as they set out pretty quickly, they begin facing what the Bible referred to as contrary winds. And we discussed this uh, pretty extensively about how there's four winds in our narrative that represent different ways in which Satan desires to attack the work of the Lord. We know that God wants to get Paul to Rome. It's part of his objective. It's, it's part of his spiritual itinerary. And he's called him to go there. God wants to get him there. Paul's willing to go. Everybody is willing to support that work. But, but there's always something that seems to get in the way of mi the mission of God. There's always a way in which the enemy wants to attack and undermine what God is doing in our lives. And, and we've got to make sure that we're thinking right in order to stand against that. So remember, remember this very, very important truth that God has an agenda, but Satan also has an agenda. And we know that God wants to get Paul to Rome, but Satan wants to do everything in his power to keep that from happening. And God has an agenda for us as well, doesn't he? He has an agenda for us to be ambassadors of Christ, to get the gospel to a lost and hurting world. And the moment that we start living that out is the moment that we're inviting those contrary winds into our life. Every time you make a decision to follow the Lord, you are at the same exact time making a decision to, to allow the enemy, right, to cause you problems, to cause you distractions, to, to try to steal your attention away. Right? You might not have seen that in the fine print. I will follow Jesus Christ with my whole life, signing my name, Ryan Stahlbomber. Okay? In the fine print of the contractual agreement, you will also be willing to suffer all things and join me in the fellowship of sufferings. Okay? You didn't know that you were doing that. And anytime you say to yourself, I'm going to follow in the calling of the Lord, you are also inviting the attack of the enemy. But to many of us who desire to be ambassadors of Christ, we so often find ourselves yielding when the contrary winds start to blow, we give up, we let go, right? Or we can, you, we, we've all grown very, very uh, um, familiar with the Alan Shelby word capitulate. I think we all found ourselves using that over the last year. He likes to use that word, and I think we've caught on. But, but we capitulate, right? We yield. We allow ourselves to, to compromise, and then we just go along to get along, don't we? And there's so many Christians, Christians even in this room right now, who, who desire, like in their heart of hearts, they desire, they know that the purpose of their life is to follow Jesus Christ and to share the gospel with the world, and yet they find themselves hedging on that, right? Taking steps back, pretending to be faithful, and all the while making decisions that are faithless. 
Today we're going to look at how, at how two different people process difficulty and trial when it comes into our lives. Two different approaches. When the storm comes, there are two different ways of responding, and we're going to look at both of those, okay? That's what we're doing today. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Make sure you have your pens, you're ready to take notes. We've got a lot to cover. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for uh, you and your love for us. And your love for us gives us great purpose. And it's so funny that your purpose in our lives causes us uh, to, to dress up in funny costumes and stand outside in the cold and meet people that we've never met before and to, sh- to show love to strangers and to pray, to pray prayers that seem impossible. And it's funny. It's funny how your love uh, drives us to the absurd and to the foolish, but it also drives us to lightheartedness and peace and gentleness and kindness and and things that we would never know outside of you. And, and so, God, I thank you for the cross, and I thank you for all that bloodshed. And while we were worshiping, I couldn't help but just dwell on where all that blood went. When your side was pierced, how long did it take for the earth to, to soak up that precious and holy blood. And I don't know. I don't know if it matters. All I know is that before that blood had a chance to soak into the earth, Lord, the veil was rent. And you opened a way for me. That I might lay hold on the, on the love and the peace and the forgiveness that you offer. And so, God, you deserve us to, you deserve every one of us to follow you with everything we have. And we get misguided so easy. And we rely on our feelings and our emotions and what other people tell us. We, we go to, to the most convenient truth so quickly. And we forget you. And so, I pray your forgiveness on us today, on, on me, on my friends, on this ministry. That, Lord, when the winds blow, Lord, that we would learn to trust you and to go your way. Even if it costs us our life. Even if we have to willingly step into the furnace. To die with you is is better than to live with this world. And so, God, we accept that in our prayer even right now. And we ask for the the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us that daily. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I saw Becca come up here and sneak these up here during the announcements. And I thought, no, I'm not going to need those. I'm going to work real hard at not needing those today. But you know what? I haven't even gotten into the sermon yet. Man. Okay. So let's dig in. Verse 14, we have a desperate situation. But not long after they arose, against it, a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. So they hadn't gone far. There's a map here. I think we, it was up there a moment ago. 
Okay, They hadn't gone far from the fair havens and into the Cape of Matala when a light breeze, remember the light breeze, right? That, that, that ploy, that gentle breeze that Satan sent their way to lull them into the Cape, okay? That, that light breeze quickly transformed into a violent storm. And it caught them off guard, and they had no choice but to relent or risk making the situation worse. And anybody ever been in one of those situations where you find yourself under such grievous and difficult attack, such, such difficult temptation that you think that the only thing left to do is to simply let go and to let the winds drive you wherever they may. And this is how we find ourselves completely surrendered to what Satan wants for our lives. And that's what, that's what happens. And that's where these guys find themselves. They are completely at the mercy of the storm. They've gone too far. They've done too much. There doesn't seem to be any turning back. And so the only thing that they know how to do is to let go. And can you imagine for a moment, I don't know if you remember, but Paul warned them, didn't he? There was all the warnings. We should stay at the fair havens. We should wait the winter out here. We should not go out. And they wanted to do what they thought was convenient for them. Most accommodating for them is actually the way the Bible puts it. Right? They, they thought this would be the most accommodating thing, is to go find respite somewhere else in a place that's much more favorable to their liking. And so they set out, and then they find themselves caught up, and, it's, and it seems to be too late. Too late. And I know that a lot of you have found yourselves in situations like that before. I've, I've never walked a mile in your shoes, but you know you might even be facing a situation like that where you, you're here, and you're here out of desperation because you seem to be in a place where you have no control over your life. You seem to have yielded yourself to whatever comes your way. You, you, have, you have capitulated. You've compromised. And now you're being driven about. And that's not a fun place to be. Remember, remember Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And these men, they must have felt terrible, knowing that if they would have just listened to Paul, listened to the man of God, gone God's way, that they would have avoided this whole situation. I mean, later on, we're going to see Paul rub it in their face a little bit. But, you know, because that's what dudes do, right? You can't avoid that, all right? Now, we profess to love Christ, and we say we want to live after him and do as he says, but a lot of times we want to do it on our terms, and that's just like these guys here. It doesn't take long before our spiritual compromises catch up with us, and they start, they start leading to us thinking and doing, emoting in particular ways and functioning in particular ways that look just like the lost world. And as we continue on, we're going to discover how most people react to hardship and trial. And when I say that, I mean, I mean both the lost world, I mean non-believers, I mean people who don't profess Christ, how they respond to difficulty and trial in their life. But I also want to make sure that you understand that today's sermon is for the believer. And that so many Christians in this world have completely lost sight of who God is, and they find themselves responding to trial and difficulty the exact same way that the lost world would. Even in Kaya, where, where the fervor and the faith seems so, so, seems so lofty at times, right? Where else would you rather be than this ministry right here? It seems so exciting. Everyone seems so zealous. There's so much going on. God seems to be at work. We see the fruit. And yet when Satan comes in opposition to our momentum, we too often find ourselves acquiescing to the pummeling of the winds. I see that all the time. 
You guys know you guys know why that line is so long on Tuesday nights wherever I'm sitting? You know? And I love the line. Don't get me wrong. I love the line. And everyone needs counsel from God's word all the time. And I don't ever want that line to diminish because that line means that God is at work in people's hearts and lives. But my point to you is that that line represents so many people, so many people who found themselves letting go and letting the storms of Satan drive them off into different directions. It's true for all of us. We let our emotions control our lives. We let our feelings dictate to us. And we get convinced of so many ridiculous things. You know it. It's you and it's me. It's all of us. And so no matter how much we love the Lord and want to follow him, this is always going to be a temptation. We're always going to have things that we're struggling with. Always, we're always going to be fighting against the lies of the enemy. But we want to get a better understanding of what that means today. And so let's continue looking at our story. Luke recounts the following in verse 16. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And so we've got ourselves a bit of, of Elizabethan uh, English there, that we've got to figure out what's going on. We've got this terminology, this ancient seafaring terminology sprinkled in. But let's make sense of this real quick. Clouda was over 20 miles southwest of where the storm probably caught them in the Cape. And so they've been driven. I mean, they're moving and they're moving fast. And you got to imagine, I don't know if you've ever been on the ocean before or seen those winds in the movies. I mean, in the movies, you've seen what these storms look like. But they are being tossed about, and now they're caught in the Bay of Misara. And offered, it offered no place to anchor. There was no place where they could drop their anchor and try to get some sort of stability. There was no place to do that. There was no place on the side of the island that they might be able to find security or safety. It was over. And they were convinced that the boat was literally going to break into pieces. They were convinced that their chances of survival were near to nothing. And so in situations of extreme emotional distress, there are natural emotions that come out, right? We all know that. We all deal with that. When we find ourselves in stressful and difficult situations, they're not a one of us. They aren't t- this is going to kill me. This thing, I'm going to fall on this. And then you're going to laugh, and then I'll lose all respect, and then there'll be no sermon left. <laughs> but everybody has been in that place where, where, where our emotions are the first response to difficulty, that adrenaline rush. I was faced with that this weekend. I was in a situation, and I was in a phone call with somebody. It was very stressful, and I could feel my adrenaline just pumping. It was, I couldn't even control it. But see, here's the problem. We start there, and then we end up in places that we never wanted to be. We start there, and then we start justifying decisions that are completely, we find ourselves contrary to the Lord. Right? The contrary wins. What they want to do is they want to make us contrary to God. And so let's look at this. Let's dissect this a little bit. The verse says, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. So the first thing we know here is that there was fear, right? That seems justifiable, I guess, right? That there was fear. And this is exactly where Satan wants you to be. This is where he wants you to start. When fear is the first response and faith isn't allowed itself to interject, 
then anything beyond that emotion becomes an act of hopelessness. Anything, if we allow fear to dictate, if we allow those feelings of fear and, 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 and being scared, we allow those things to control us, the end of that thing is hopelessness. So here's our first key point. When fear guides us, we naturally abandon Christ. See, the Bible paints this very simple for us. We either fear God or we fear everything else. You don't get to fear the world and fear the enemy and fear your circumstances and, and fear all those things that are out there, there, those big bad monsters that we face every day. We don't get to face those things with, and, and, and accept fear and also fear the Lord. You fear one or the other. See, fear, fear is like, like spiritual beer goggles. Okay? Right? Some of you are more familiar with that than you want to admit right now. Okay? It's like spiritual beer goggles. And once you accept that your situation is bigger than God, then our vision of Christ and who he is will become blurry and you will begin to mismanage every aspect of your life. That's just how it works. Fear takes over, Christ disappears. Fear undermines every high and holy thought. It tears away at the grandeur of the Great Commission. And fear dictates who we will be and what we call good. That's what fear does. It's poison. But most people, and even, even most Christians, they choose to fear bad health. They choose to fear COVID. They, they, they choose to fear because of, of masks or because of vaccines. People choose to fear because they don't want to be alone. There's people in this room right now, if you're honest with yourself, you're afraid. You're afraid to be alone. That's your primary fear in this world. You don't want to get old without being married. You don't want to be old without having kids, and you fear that, and it consumes you, and it, and it blinds you. People choose to fear because of what people might think of them. They live life in a hypothetical world where people are just always thinking about them. <laughs> and here's, some, here's, here's a little insight. Most people, most of the time, aren't thinking about you. You might be, but others are not. But we get caught up. We get worried. We get, we're respecters of persons. And so we, we fear people's perspectives on who, on, on who we are. And we, we come up with all these hypotheses about what they think about us. People choose fear when, when things don't go as they imagined or as they planned. They choose to fear when ministry is hard and discipleship is hard. Who knows discipleship is hard? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. But just think about it. It's, well, it's, yeah, yeah. It's hard. There's so many people in this ministry who find themselves at lesson four, five, eight, nine, and they get halfway through, and suddenly the fear sets in, the temptation comes, the contrary winds come, and they convince themselves that what they need right now is anything but discipleship. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And so the first question is, do you struggle with fear? Do you struggle with anxiety? Because that is the starting place for the enemy. It is the first in a series of mechanisms that are intended to lead you to hopelessness. And so what does fear do? 
Well, fear leads us to self-preservation. That's the next thing. When fear kicks in, self-preservation takes over. It's the natural instinct. Verse 16, and running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Much work. See, the storm's force was so great that they had to take up, so I don't know if you've ever seen this in movies or if you've ever been on the ocean, large boats sometimes have an emergency boat. We refer to them as dinghies, which is a funny word. I have no idea the etymology of that word, okay? But there's, there may be a rope tied to a boat, and that boat is a smaller boat. It's like a rescue boat. And that boat was beginning to take on water. And so they had much work to get that smaller boat that, that, see, it's a different, that word boat is a different Greek word than the one we've been using. It refers to this smaller boat. It took them so much work to get that boat into their boat. They're striving. They're scurrying about. You can imagine them trying to work as a team, yelling at each other, freaking out. And they also began to undergird the ship. It says, which when they had taken up, they used helps. Okay, these helps being binding, right? Ropes, cable. Undergirding the ship, this is, uh, in, in, in seafaring terms, they call this frapping, frapping, okay? I saw some of you on Sundays, you wouldn't come to church without a frappuccino. That wouldn't, you would never do that. You couldn't imagine yourself walking into church without a giant, large, sugary beverage. This is not the same thing. Frapping is when you wrap the hull, okay? You wrap the hull, uh, in order to protect it and keep the ship bound together so that when it's struck by the waves that it doesn't naturally fall apart. This is, we use duct tape to do this in our lives. And then they strike the sails, okay? And that means that they took them down. They took the sails down because as long as the sails are up, they're more likely to get blown about and those, those sails are just going to get torn apart anyway. So they're doing all this work and their, their present course was taking them directly into the sandbars of Certus Major, which was off the coast of Alexandria. Okay, it's a famous place where merchant ships all the time, they wreck, they get caught in the quicksand. Okay, and the quicksand just means a sandbar. They get caught in that sandbar, and those winds would hit them, and those waves would hit them, and it would just tear the boat to shreds, and they were doomed. It happened all the time, and that's what they were afraid would happen. And so they're scrambling frantically, making decisions in desperation. And everything these men did... Was, called, was considered emergency protocol. This is what you do. This is what anyone would do. But here's the thing I want to point out to you, is that regardless of all of this work, they were still left with no promise of peace and protection. All that work, and there's still no promise that things are going to work out for them. And that leads us to our next key point, and that's this. The compulsion to preserve ourselves does not guarantee peace or protection. It doesn't. It doesn't. Your best intentions, your best ideas about what to do about school, about what to do about your job, about what to do with those relationships, all of your scurrying about in fear, does you no good. Because at the end of the day, none of us are protected from suffering. And there are certain things that are just outside of our control. And that was true for these guys, too. For all their work, they weren't any better. Verse 17 says, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. So if you jump down, it says, and so were driven. All the things that they did, and they were still driven, weren't they? They were still just being pummeled about. 
None of the decisions they make made any difference. They were driven. All that work, all that striving, and yet still no hope. What is it that Alan Shelby always says? He always says, it's the, the best a lost man can do on his best day. Right? Which, he's so smart, I had to hear that about 57 times before I even understood what that meant. All right? But isn't that the way the lost world functions on their very, uh, a lost man, the smartest lost man, the smartest lost woman you've ever met, on their very best day, their highest intellect, the perfect cup of coffee, the perfect moment, all of the things are arranged just right. The decisions that they make are still hopelessness. And when we feel threatened, attacked, we feel fear of any sort, then we lose sight of Christ and all of our attention turns to us. Self-preservation. I've got to fix it. I've got to fix this. How do I fix this? Right? And it just compounds all the problems that you're already facing. And I, I want to ask you, do you struggle with fighting for self-preservation? Do you, do you struggle with that? Because if you do, it's going to lead to this next thing, and that's lostness. That's lostness. Verse 19, in the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. Okay, hold out there for a second. During this time frame, all right, there was no GPS, okay? They weren't out there with their Garmin on the high seas. You understand? They trusted in the stars and the sun and the moon to guide them in where they were going. That's what they did. But see, the sky had been dark for several days, and there was no sun and no moon and no stars to show them which way was right. They had no idea where they were going to land, and they had no idea how to get to where they needed to go. They had no idea. And there is no guidance in the dark. There's no guidance in the dark. We, lo we love the dark. We want it to be perfectly dark in our bedroom, especially in those summer months when the sun starts coming up early. You know what I'm talking about? The sun starts coming up at 5. You, you hate your life, right? I know some of you. I know how it is when you're a young adult, when you're in college age, in your 20s. You don't care what anything looks like, so you'll, you'll purchase sheets, black like blankets, and you'll cover your windows. How many of you dudes especially have big blankets over your windows to keep the light from coming in? Oh, yeah, you are also holy. You get up at 4.30 to read the Bible. I forgot. <laughs> okay, good for you. A lot of people like the dark when they want to sleep. We like the darkness. That is until we need to navigate our bedroom and wake up in the morning and go, until you have to pee in the middle of the night, right? Because you're destined to hurt yourself because you can't navigate the space. No matter how familiar you are with the space, you still find a way to hurt yourself. There is no guidance in the dark. See, for us, our compass is Scripture. We'll come back to this idea, but I want to read just a few verses. Psalms 43.3 says, O oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto the holy hill and to thy tabernacles. 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Psalm 18.28 says, For thou wilt light my candle 
The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Job 29.3 says, When his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. It's through the guidance of Jesus Christ. It's through the light of his word that our path is lit. And that leads us to our next key point. And that is with no spiritual reference point, there is no place to find peace. So you might want the peace. You might desire the protection. You might desire to to find haven and solace. But without the guidance of God's word and that light to lead your path, you will never find it. It doesn't, there's nothing that will guide you. There's nothing that will guide you. When there is no true north, when there is no true context, there's there's only going to be wandering and disillusionment. And so that leads us to the next question. Do you feel lost? Do you feel like you're in that space, that you've gone far enough in your fear and your your methods of self-preservation, that you find yourself and you feel lost right now? Because that's going to lead you to this next thing, and that's weariness. When you've wandered around long enough and you can't find your way, then you will grow to be exhausted. You're going to be tired. Verse 18, and and when we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted the ship. That means they were throwing stuff off the boat. They're just getting rid of everything they had. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. Can you imagine? I mean, the situation seems so big. They're being exceedingly tossed. Three days have passed now, just like this. Can you imagine? No sleep. You ever gone 48 hours without sleeping? It's like something, it's like you become a mutant. Like you become a completely different person. These guys, three days, just like this, puking their guts out. No energy, no strength. And the declaration was it was, it was no small tempest, right? Which is like sarcasm, right? It's like ancient sarcasm. This, this was not a small storm. It was big, and it wasn't going to let up anytime soon. And going your own way by your power and by your might and by your intellect is draining to the flesh. You want to rely on the strong arm of your flesh? Well, guess what? It doesn't hold up real long. You ever prayed with someone on a Tuesday night and Sam asked you to lay hands and you put your arm out and you put your hand on somebody, but the prayer goes so long? I don't care how much time you've spent in the gym. At some point in the prayer, you're like... Because you can't physically do it, and that's like five minutes. Listen, this is what it's like in our life. When we trust in our flesh, we trust in our mind, in our intellect, in our best thought, we're going to grow so tired. God never intended for his people to work that way. Habakkuk 2.12 says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, which is so awesome. It sounds like the Wild West, doesn't it? Think about like some that builds with the, the might of his hands, the blood, the sweat, and the tears, right? Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, 
establish a, a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the uh, they should labor, labor labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves by their van, for their vanity? Is that what he wants? No. That's not what he wants. That's the exact opposite of what he wants. You think he wants you to work with your vain hands, labor in iniquity, to fight with fire, to build, to build your edifice out of blood? That's not what he wants for you. And that leads us to the next key point. The flesh's solutions lead to physical and spiritual waste. It's not just wearisome, it's wasteful. It doesn't get you anywhere. You can't win that way. There's no winning that way. When the point you, at the point you hit weariness, man, the only natural thing to happen is to let go, isn't it? That is emotional tragedy. And that leads us to hopelessness. That's five, hopelessness, emotional tra- tragedy. Verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It's the natural end of fear. It's the natural end of fear. It's emotional tragedy. It's hopelessness. And that's our key point. Fear's natural conclusion is always hopelessness. You follow that path to its natural end. You will always feel and think in terms of hopelessness. And there is nothing as terrible as walking around in this life in despair, believing, convincing yourself that there is no hope, that there is no help, that there is no purpose, and no one can save you. And there's some of you who feel hopeless even right now. You have have started with fear and you worked yourself down the natural path and you found yourself feeling completely hopeless. And I want to tell you right now that there's a, there is a better way. There is a better way. And if we take everything that's happened in our story right here, and we reverse engineer it, and that's what we're going to do here. We're going to reverse engineer all these things. We're going to move backwards, and we're going to figure out what it looks like to have true confidence, true confidence in the Lord. We're going, to, we're going to discover right here how we can avoid all the heartache and all the disappointment of trusting in our flesh. And that's the very first thing, is hope. Find hope. Start with hope. Start with finding the hope. We begin with hope. Or we begin with hope here, just as we ended with hope before. If we start with hope, the way we began with fear, then we, we can reverse the entire effect. So we as believers must determine... That before we even set sail, that there will be troubling winds, and there will be difficult waves, and that life storm will find us out, but we go with faith, so we go with hope. Now, hope in what? I mean, it sounds good. Hope is a good word. People throw it around. They use it for their election campaigns. They throw it around. They don't know what it means. Hope in what? Some grand and abstract idea of who God is and his goodness? No. Hope is promises. 
Hope is believing in promises. Hebrews 13.5 says, For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Promise. Promise. Right? And when I, what I'm saying here, when we're talking about finding hope, what we're saying is taking these things and making them the banner of your life. You wave it above your head. It's your marching call as you set down, down to the shore and down to the dock and you board that boat knowing that there's going to be pain, knowing that there's going to be difficulty, knowing that you're going to be tempted with fear. You go with hope, hope in the promises. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Listen to this promise. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... Okay, you're a sleazebag, and you know how to give good... good, good my, I'm so tongue-tied today, I can't even say tongue-tied. You know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? Um, man, we stood around in the cold and made sure our kids had candy last night. It's trash candy, Tootsie Rolls and whatnot. That stuff's going to the garbage, by the way, right? They had a great time. I wasn't there for me. I was there because I knew that it brought them joy. Even parents that are, are weak know how to give good gifts to their kids. How much more then shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Man, that's a good promise. That's good surety. Luke 12, 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? 12, 28 of that same chapter. If then God... So clothe the grass, which is, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And here's my personal favorite promise. The, the Bible is riddled with them. The entire Bible is a promise. The whole thing, from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, the whole thing is just a, it's a book of promises, right? But here's one of my favorites. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So this is a command. This is the commission, right? But listen to what he says. This is how he capitalizes that statement. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. See, it's these types of promises that give us hope. We can find hope. We can lay hold on hope. So beginning with hope for hard times is critical in preparation for the mission that God's called us to. The next thing is finding strength. Finding strength. Next, we need to find sustaining strength, which is the opposite of weariness, is it not? So we're, we're still working our way backwards. You see this? We're working our way backwards. So hope will lead us to this place of strength. Look, we know that doing ministry is hard and it can be burdensome, can't it? I mean, biblically, it is burdensome. Now, the burden is light, okay? But it is burdensome, nonetheless. God wants it to be. It is burdensome. But it's only ever wearisome when we serve the Lord in our flesh, Or strive to do things according to our will and not his. When we work in opposition to him, we will grow weary. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He doesn't want us to grow weary. Look, God gives strength. He fills us with the capacity to serve him even in the midst of trial. 
In 1 Samuel, we were in 1 Samuel in LFBI yesterday, and so it made me think of, of, of chapter 2 and this prayer of Hannah. In verse 4 of chapter 2, it says, she, she prays this before the Lord. She says, the bows, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the bows, I'm thinking in boat terms still, the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. So it's the weak that get the strength. Right? It's the ones that are, are humble before the Lord, that are hurting and in desperate need of strength. They're the ones that get it. Further down in verse 9, He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. So before you ever set sail, you've got to mortify your flesh. You, you, can't, can take, you, can't, can, uh, you can't take control of your life. You, you can't own this, the, the mission. You can't do it in your flesh. You've got to yield to the Lord. And by him, he will give you strength, the strength of the Almighty. You ever think about that name? Almighty, capital A, Almighty, that's his name. That means all might, all of it, every bit, Almighty. That's your God. That's your friend. That's the one who bled and died for you. He's the only one strong enough to save us. And so before we board the boat, we've got to first put our hope in him, Right? But we also find our strength in him. And now we find our guidance in him. That's the next thing. We want to avoid being lost. Okay, just like you go on a trip, you get prepared, don't you? Right? For me, okay, I've got, I bought one of those things for my dash so I can put my phone right there. Everybody's talking about Waze. Anybody using Waze, the new app? Yeah? Okay. Waze. Apparently this is, the, this is, this is it in terms of navigation. I haven't yet figured that out. I'm still using Apple, the, their maps. It works for me just fine, but, you know, maybe I'll upgrade. But you prepare yourself so that you don't get lost. I've been lost before, especially in the early 2000s, when all we had was MapQuest. And Eva would get so frustrated with me when we were driving. I'm like, I've got it. I've got it figured out. I think I know we're going. No. No. Okay? You've got to be prepared. You've got to have guidance. You know, thank God, thank God that when we take a road trip, we don't have to be guided by the stars. Can you imagine? We'd all have sunroofs. <laughs> It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But look, even better than the gift of GPS, okay? Thank God that we don't have to rely on the prophets or the law to tell us how to live. We have a complete and fulfilled word of God right here, beginning to end, everything we need. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to, to help us to navigate. To beep at us when we're headed the wrong direction. Right? This is everything that we could ever need to guide us. This is our guidance. His word provides us the whole counsel of God. And it guides and gives us direction so we don't ever have to wander through life unsure. Psalm 119.105, the word is a lamp goes back to that light, is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path so I can know where I'm going. That regardless of how dark it gets, even when the sun, okay, you see the picture here, right, in our story, right? They can't see the sun. They have nothing to guide them. The darkness of Satan has completely blinded them. See that even in the darkness, we have the light of God's word. We have a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we can move forward even when the rest of the world faces darkness. So before you can set sail, make sure that you grab your word. Determine that you're going to trust God's word to guide you and not your best thoughts. Number four, you've got to find peace. We're reverse engineering this thing. We're working our way back, right? 
So, so if, we come, if we've come this far, right, and we found hope and we found strength and we found guidance, then we will find peace. It will be there. It will be waiting for us. So the opposite of self-preservation is peace. Peace in his guidance. Peace in knowing that he's with us. Peace that he's taking our hand. That he's our friend. That he's got our best intentions in his mind. The only reason we scramble about looking for answers when things are tough, when situations are hard, is because we have no hope, we have no strength, we have no guidance. And here we are. We don't have to scramble. We don't have to fight for self-preservation. We don't have to get ours. We don't have to find a way or figure it out. Or, we don't have to do any of that. If we have these things, then we don't have to fight to, uh, to survive. We can have perfect peace. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill your hearts with all joy and peace. Hope produces peace. In believing. In believing. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death. That's where these dudes are headed. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what it is. So before you set sail, you've got to ask yourself, where are you going to find your peace when the storm comes? And that leads us to number five. That's to find confidence. The opposite of fear is confidence. That's what it is. And now that we've found all these other things, how could we possibly fear? How would it even be possible to fear at this point? You're cool. In the midst of the storm, you're cool, you're calm. You're just like Jesus with his head on the pillow, chilling when, when, the, when the waves are high and the disciples are freaking out. See, all fear is dissolved. It's vanished. And fear was dealt with long before the winds ever became contrary. <laughs> fear had already been defeated. Now, how do we know that's going to be true for us? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, that's not for us, but of power and love and a sound mind. And we can have true confidence, not self-confidence. We're not talking about self-confidence. We're talking about God-confidence. We can have God-confidence because God is our help. Now listen, as we close out, I want to look at what happens to Paul. Okay, we talk about all this. We see how everyone else is acting on the ship, don't we? Well, how is Paul acting? Right? How, what is Paul's response? Is he responding the way that we just pointed out? To, to find hope and to find strength and to find guidance and, and to, to, to find all these things so that he doesn't fear? How is he responding? Let's read about it. Verse 21. But after long abstinence, so it means he was not, he was out of the way. He was doing nothing. For long abstinence, he was hanging out, chilling in the cut. Suddenly he appears. He just, he stood forth in the midst of them. They can't, they can't see anything. It's dark. They're scrambling. All they can think about is surviving. And so then Paul shows up, and with him he brings peace. Are you that person? Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. So there he goes. Again, making it worse. Make it, make it a little worse before you make it better, man. Just remind them, remind them of who your God is. See, if you would have hearkened unto me and had not loosed from Crete, somebody's got a slinky over there, <laughs> and not loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. 
For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. That it shall be even as it was told me. I want to point out here that Paul was comforted. And he wanted to comfort everyone else involved in this situation. Paul had hope and peace and strength and confidence, not just because an angel showed up that night. And not just because he had the promises of God, but because he had long ago determined in his heart something very, very, very important. And it's this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. See, what he had determined is that he served the Lord. He knew who he served. And his power over fear was sourced in what he believed and who was his master. And if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the master of our lives... What could we possibly fear? It's honestly, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to fear if we truly understand who Jesus is to us and if we've determined that we serve him. See, some of us, our service is divided. And so fear finds its way in, doesn't it? Because we don't, sometimes we serve the Lord. But sometimes we serve others. And sometimes we serve our flesh. And we're divided. We're divided in our service. But see, Paul, he knew who he served. And he knew in whom he believed. He knew who his master was. And when the trials came, he was, he was chilling, wasn't he? So here's the conclusion for our message. Trial comes in all different shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's prolonged. It's just like this. It's like days and days or months or years of difficulty. Difficulty with family, difficulty with people, difficulty with jobs. Things are hard. You lose things, don't you? You lose things in storms. And, and there, are, there are all these things that happen and they come. And they, but sometimes storms are short. Sometimes storms happen in a morning. You wake up, something happens, you get a bad phone call, and by the afternoon it's resolved and it's cool. But storms come, they're going to come. They're coming, whether they're, they're big or they're small or they're short or they're long, they're coming and you will face them. And the question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in your natural man or are you going to respond in your spiritual man? And so as Christians, we're equipped by the word and by the spirit to go through any trial we face with victory. Because the victory was determined at the cross. You already won. No matter what happens, no matter what the outcomes are, the victory has already been won. And so anything that happens to you, that's fine. That's cool. You already know how the, how the story ends. You're not going to trip or get hung up on any of that. That's a lifestyle. That's a way of living. And you've got to determine it every day because the storm is coming. The winds will start blowing. And they're going to howl. And they're going to frighten you. 
And so let's have the worship team come up. We want, to talk, we want to close with an invitation concerning our fears. Okay? And as they come up, I want to ask you a really hard question. As we go to pray, I want you to ask yourself, are there things that I'm fearing? Are there ways in which I'm functioning in self-preservation? I'm in self-preservation mode, and I'm trying to come up with all these decisions and all these things in my flesh, trying to find a way out of my situation. Can I, not, can I not find peace right now? Does peace seem far away from me? Do I see, am I feeling lost? And if, you, if you're feeling that way, I'm telling you, it's going to lead to hopelessness. And so I, I think today is as, 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 any, as good as any day to get this dealt with so that tomorrow you don't feel the same way. We're going to have counselors up here that you can meet with, you can talk with, you can pray with, and you can just tell them about your fears. And together you can confess that before the Lord, and then you can start working that thing backwards, and you can start with hope. That's what you can do today. And that, and that will cause the sun to shine no matter how dark it is. You understand? So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us, help us to make hard decisions. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the fact that Paul is such a great example to us of how we ought to be. And so we turn to you in faith. We want, we want to be full of faith. And before we set out and we do your mission and we live for you, and, and before we ever do the work of an ambassador or a fisher of men, Lord, we need the hope thing, that, that thing to be right in our lives. And, and we need to source our strength in you. And we need to lay hold on your promises and we need to let your word guide us and we need to obey what you say. And we need to work through those things. So that ultimately we can put our confidence completely in you and we can go and do the work of the mission and we can be the Christian that you desire for us to be. Without any fear of the darkness or the driving winds. So Lord, if there's anyone in the room today that this sermon spoke to or they can see themselves in this message, Lord, I pray that they would right now have the strength to stand up and the hope necessary to stand up and to meet with someone and to talk and to pray. I ask you for this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.